Welcome into another edition of the Canes Inside Podcast brought to you by Canes Wear. I am your host, Peter Ariz, alongside D Money. D, this is uh, not the podcast we expected to be doing uh, today, but here we are. Miami loses 45 to 31 against Middle Tennessee State. Uh, arguably, you know, worst loss in program history. Um, so what went wrong and where are we sitting here today talking about Miami losing to Middle Tennessee State? <laughs> you know, I picked the wrong year to stop drinking, I would say, right off the top. Um, this loss was worse than FIU. You know, we were talking about before, hands down, you take away the local aspect of it, just pure football, this loss was worse than FIU. It could have been worse than the score. They went for it on fourth down how, however many times. A lot of calls went Miami's way that were kind of borderline. There was a punt that probably should have been blocked that wasn't blocked. This could have been worse than a blowout loss at home to Middle Tennessee State, which, I mean, just think about that. And we weren't even that banged up. We were pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was bad, man. Everything about this game was a debacle. And even before we get into the football side of things, just being in the stadium, it's like you had a lightning delay. They didn't tell the people in the stadium that the lighting delay was over. So no one was in the stands when the game started. The TV. Don't get me started on the TV. Which I didn't know. I was at the game. I come home and watch it. It looked like a high school game. I thought I was watching. It like, was worse. It was not. It was all 22, but not really. And it was just, it was horrible. After the game, it started pouring. So, you know, everybody was going to their car. Like I went to the, get my car in the parking lot, got soaked. You know, I came to pick up my family in the front. I took off my shirt. I was giving all the Canes this side fans a free show of the physique. You know what I mean? Looking like an idiot. I ended up catching a, a nasty cold. I just recovered now. So the whole thing was a debacle before you even get into the actual game, which was, you know, you hear the phrase team loss. This was a team catastrophe. And what I mean by that is that every aspect of the team was catastrophically bad. Everyone. So you start at the head coach level. The players admitted in the postgame, Ja'Kai Clark, Jalen Rivers, that they overlooked this team. So obviously that falls on the head coach. The, the physicality and effort that we've been talking about was not there because every single run was finished by Middle Tennessee State, particularly at the end of the game. You talk about the conditioning, you know, Feld and all those guys. When Miami had all the momentum in the world in that middle of that third quarter towards the fourth quarter, Middle Tennessee State just started pounding them and turning three-yard runs into seven-yard runs. So the conditioning aspect was certainly not there. And then you go position by position, and every single position was just like a quarterback to start. Talking about Tyler Van Dyke, who everybody in the country had as a first-round pick. He was tying Joe Burrow records to end the season, five and one. And he can't complete a a routine pass to the flats. I mean, just complete yips. I I was talking about it with someone in the group chat. I can't think of somebody who has collapsed faster in the terms of their stock at quarterback than Tyler Van Dyke. Can you think of one? I mean, maybe you can. You tell me. Is someone falling that fast? I mean, Spencer Rattler, Rattler. Maybe? I mean, Rattler has has is having a pretty pretty bad uh, tumble himself. But you know, in, in recent years, that you know, if, if we looked at it, I'm sure there would be other guys you could categorize, you know, like that. And it, it's still so early in the season, but it just 
it's been a completely different player than what we saw. So at the quarterback position, you have a very expensive offensive coordinator who you had to lure from Michigan and, and overpay. You also have a very expensive quarterback coach who was an offensive coordinator that you had to overpay for a, a quarterback coach job. So you have two expensive coaches for that position. And not only are you not improving at a fast rate, you are regressing at a record rate. So, you know, there's plenty to talk about with Gaddis and that and everybody else. But, I mean, what about the actual quarterback position and the quality of individual play and mechanics? That has fallen off. So, you know, you talk about the, we'll talk about the quarterback controversy and everything else. But when you think about the amount that's being spent for what you're seeing, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And quarterback is the first position, but it's not the only one. You talk about running back. Henry Parrish was the best player on the field when he was healthy. But a guy like Thad Franklin, who I've always loved his talent, he could not get an inch against that middle Tennessee defensive line when it really could have changed the whole game if he would have gotten in there on third and short. He had the opportunity of a lifetime and really just kind of showed that it's not going to happen with him. I mean, maybe he'll change his body. Maybe things will, will, will happen. But right now, you had an opportunity completely squandered there, Knighton with the fumble. That's a position that you look at where we had thought it was going into the season. I, I remember before the season, people were saying, we don't even need Henry Parrish. Why we take this guy? <laughs> now, we cannot afford to lose him for a second. He's the only guy that can play. J- Jalen Knighton, I know he's had some injuries, but where is he? We heard Josh Gaddis talk all offseason. I can't wait to show you all the ways I'm going to use Rooster. Look into Michigan, how I use these guys on jet sweeps and all these different types of things, getting guys in space to make plays. We have seen absolutely none of that with Jalen Knighton since the season started. Wide receiver really played well for how they've been playing in camp and the rest of the season, but you know that's a position that struggles. Tight end. The fact that Will Mallory gets twice as many snaps in this game than Elijah Arroyo, someone has to explain to me what Will Mallory does better than Elijah Arroyo, aside from just being older. One aspect of football, it's not hands, it's not run after the catch, it's not blocking, it's not toughness. I can't think of one thing that he does better, yet he had twice as many snaps as a Royal. And that was, do you think that they'd maybe just trust Mallory more the same way that you see at the receiver position with certain guys? What has he done to earn that trust? He's been missing blocks for four well, I'm, years. I'm with you. I'm just, no, I know. I'm just, he's been missing blocks for four years. He, he is not a clutch pass receiver. Aside from one catch against NC state, I can't think of a big catch in traffic. The guy's made. And I'm not trying to look Mallory's given a lot to the program. I'm not trying to, 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 you know, to just rag on him. But the decision to play Arroyo half the snaps of Mallory in this game is something that had a tangible impact on the outcome. You know, you talk about Mirabal and the, and the offensive line, which has been a, a strength, a bright spot for this team, and they got completely dominated, particularly in the middle of the line. Ja'Kai Clark, uh, Justice Oluwasin, I mean, that was a bloodbath. And when your middle is getting pushed around like that, the entire line collapses. collapses you, yeah. you cannot have your middle that leaky. So you, we preach. You can talk about physicality and toughness and all these things. Well, and it's just so crazy because we saw 
the physicality and the toughness the week before, right? And, and at Texas A&M. So, look, I, I think we talked about it last week when we talked about, you know, what, what are your goals for this next game? To me, it was like I wanted to see them come out with a fast start, right? Obviously, that wasn't the case, but it just felt like at some point they would be able to flip the switch. They didn't. Was this just the spillover effect of the A&M game and then them coming out flat? Or, you know, do you think there's a real chance for them to reset moving forward? We hear it every year with it's, you know, ACC play hasn't started yet, right? And I know that's not what Canes fans want to hear. But my question to you is how do they kind of keep it tight right now? and kind of make some changes and adjustments moving forward? So I'll answer the first part of that question. We'll talk about what we can do moving forward. You know, I'm not done venting about that, how bad that was, because it was... But in terms of what it was, I think some of it was Texas A&M spillover. Um, I talked to somebody, not not on the staff, that was on field level before the game, and they said you could tell in warm-ups these guys were just flat, completely flat, before the game. And again, you heard the comments. So that's a head coach failure to not have your guys ready to play, even at a minimum level. So that was part of it. I think another part of it is, you know, it's like, a, it's like you hear about these ancient battles where you kill the general or you kill royalty and everybody loses their morale, Right. Van Dyke was the best player on this team last year. I mean, not like speculation. His performance on the field, he carried us to a 5-1 and one record. He was that guy. Everybody saw it. He gave everybody else confidence because he was such a good individual player. It wasn't just hype. He did that in the second half of the season. So when you have your best player, your leader, all offseason, and he completely loses confidence, and I mean, look, I don't want to be a body language expert, but anybody watching that game could tell that he lost confidence. It was plainly obvious with his body language that he did not believe in himself or in the offense and the offensive coordinator, at least the scheme that he was running. So when there's that much disconnect between the leader of the offense from the coaching side, which is Gaddis, and mm-hmm. Cristobal's, you know, he's involved in the offense, but Gaddis is the leader of the offense from the coaching standpoint. Tyler Van Dyke, the leader of the offense and leader of the team, and there's that much of a disconnect and, and a lack of confidence in Van Dyke and a lack of confidence in Van Dyke and himself, that's the, head, that's the head of the table. That's the tip of the spear. Everything else kind of collapses from that. So I think that's part of it. When you, he comes out, it's one thing to throw a couple interceptions. You know, we've seen these gunslinger-type quarterbacks come out there and throw picks. If Josh Allen goes out there and throws a couple picks, he's not going to stop running people over and throwing into tight windows, you know, that's, or like a Brett Favre, to use an older example. Van Dyke went in the tank after that. I think the team followed his lead. So I think those, the Texas A&M spillover, just not getting these guys refocused from a coaching standpoint, and then the catastrophe that's happening at the quarterback position and with the offense, that really killed the confidence uh, of everybody. We'll, we'll get more into the quarterback and the offense in a bit, but when you talk about the focus levels, it may not have been more evident than in pass coverage, right? With the lapses back there. I mean, now that you had a chance to, to rewatch it, how much of that was them just falling asleep? How much of it was communication on the back end? I mean, what, what was your view of what happened there? Because that wasn't just, 
you know, a bad play or two. That was a consistent thing throughout the entire course of the game. And it, it, it became like, uh, it's not disrespectful because it's football, but it's like they were not scared to continue going at them. Yeah, I think Miami is now second to last in the nation in yards per pass defense. I mean, so I think Charlotte's the only team worse in the nation. I'm talking about in the 119 or something like that. Um, with all the blue chip defensive backs Miami has and the expensive coaches. So that's pretty telling. But, you know, I think you're right to focus on quarterback and the defensive back first and foremost because coming out of camp, you know, being able to watch practice and see all these things, listen to the early podcast we did. We said, my prediction of the team was really similar to Cristobal's first year at Oregon, Rick's first year at Miami, like a nine-win, four-loss season. That looks very, very doubtful right now. It looks like we're heading to a very expensive 7-5 and five season, which has been Miami's norm lately. Okay. But if you ask me about what we look like in camp, a lot of those things translated as far as the explosive plays was a problem on offense. The wide receivers were a problem on offense. We talked about it. Some of the body types inside were a problem on offense. Too many small guys, short small guys we, on the offensive line. Uh, we talked about all those things. We thought the quarterback was going to help lift our floor, which obviously we went, already went through that. But I also was hopeful that the defensive backs had really improved. Kevin Steele said, this is a position I thought was going to be a weakness. It's really a strength. At the, there was always that thought in the back of your mind when you watch it, are the corners this much better or are the receivers just not good? <laughs> and I think we know the answer to that now. It was the competition. And how sad is that? We're saying that the competition made the corners look good in practice, but a Middle Tennessee State game exposes them. <laughs> that should be their hardest competition in practice. Yeah, that's bad. So, yes, I think that's a huge problem. I think it was a miscommunication, was a talent. DJ Ivy got beat in man coverage. That was just flat man coverage getting beat. We talked about his confidence coming up after that Texas A&M game. That's done. Um, that's a problem at that position, which we knew. Uh, Jaden Harris, the the young nickelback, really shouldn't have been in that position. I don't, want, you know, it's not really fair to him, but that was man coverage. He got beat. The first touchdown over Tyreek, that was a, looked like a zone miscommunication. Someone looked like they were in the wrong spot. Yeah. Right. And then that long catch and run that set up one of their touchdowns, that was just lack of effort, lack of communication. I mean, everything that could go wrong. So I don't know what you do at defensive back. Daryl Porter, if you watch his film last year at West Virginia, I thought he looked better than any of our corners in the last two years. He has not looked that good since he's been here, which, again, makes you wonder, why does he look so much better there than he looked here? But they got to figure that out because that position is a tremendous weakness right now. Camp Kitchens, well, you said it. You said this guy's going to be the MVP of the defense. He probably is, but he didn't have a great game himself. Mm -hmm. uh, James Williams, you know, he's still going to do his things, and he's still very talented, but uh, – he, he got pushed around a little bit. Some of his, his tackling high issues got exposed. I don't know what the solution is with those defensive backs and the corners, you know, especially if Tyreek Stevenson's nicked up. I, I, don't, I don't know where that position goes because right now they're about last in the country. They are worse. Well, than and, last and year. then you have a team next week in North Carolina that's going to throw the ball all over the place. Right. And by the way, 
maybe we should give an apology to Mike Rumpf a little bit. You know, it's going to make me the most hated man on the podcast. But look at our rankings on defense at yards per play against, which to me, or yards per pass against, that to me is the best stat to judge a defense, defensive backs is how many yards do they give up per every pass? Look at our stats with, with Rumpf in that category. We had some top five finishes, some really good numbers. We never really finished too low in that compared to without him because we were bad last year and we are bottoming it out this year in a lot more expensive uh, defensive backs coaches. So, you know, maybe Mike Rump deserves a, a retroactive apology because we played a lot better in the back end when he was the, when he was the coach. Right. So, I mean, let's just flip right back over to the quarterback spot, right? Because that's going to be the biggest discussion moving forward. Talked about TVD struggles. It's hard for me to believe a guy puts what he put on tape last year and then puts on tape what he's put this year, right? Because I just, he showed his talent. He showed the arm talent, right? Um, he showed the ability to make plays, um, make, you know, change arm angles, things that you don't see from just any college quarterback, right? Um, it hasn't been that this year. We see Jake Garcia come in, sparks the team uh, a little bit. It was, it was a little too late, right? And uh, still couldn't finish off some drives there. But there were some positives to take away from what Jake did in there. No, Jake gave a spark. Um, he did his thing, but he's still limited by some of the same things TVD was limited by. But I will say there's a difference between Jake and TVD, which I think has come, become a little more crystal seeing them here. Jake is a very textbook quarterback. He's, he has instincts and he's a playmaker, but he's very textbook. He's been coached from a young age. He's very polished. TVD is an athlete playing quarterback. And I mean that in a good way. I like athletes playing quarterbacks like a Joe Burrow, you know, Josh Allen, guys that play multiple sports. Pitcher, plays golf. Pitcher, know. he was a tight end when he first started in high school. He was a basketball player. He goes out and he slings it. You mentioned the arm angles, unorthodox fashion, right? Last year, in Rhett Lashley's offense, he was out there slinging it. And when he got in rhythm, he was unstoppable. Six-game stretch, unstoppable. I think back to Dontrell Willis. I'm a Marlins fan. I mean, God, I picked pick the winners here uh, with these teams to follow. But <laughs> with, with, with Dontrell Willis, he was arguably the best pitcher in baseball in, in 2005. And he, you know, 2003 was very good as well. And then he completely fell off to where he was basically unplayable, even though he was still young and, and healthy. And he always had unorthodox mechanics. He would just go out there and throw. He was just a great athlete. Um, didn't think and just went out there and, and threw. But when he lost when he lost his rhythm and he and he lost it a little bit, he didn't have the mechanics to come back to and say, let me just get back to the mechanics and, and I'll be fine. Because he just he just did it. I'm not a quarterback expert. You know, there's plenty of people that can break this down better than me. But I wonder, is there some of that going on with T V D where now he's thinking so much, he's in such a box that the athlete is totally taken out of the picture. And he doesn't have that. Because it was obvious that him and Lashley had, you know, a good connection and that, you know, whatever was going on last year was obviously better for his skill set. He didn't have time to think. I mean, they were going up and down. He was just playing ball. Now the pace is so slow that you have, I mean, you have time to think about the meaning of life between snaps. It's, it's just, it does not stop. It's, it's, I it's, as a fan, it's impossible to watch, personally. 
especially when things aren't going well. I can only imagine when you're a quarterback and things are not going well and you can't get into a rhythm, you stop, you think, and then you're asked to, to run this very rigid mechanical offense. And I got to think that's hurting TVD. And maybe Jake, I thought TVD was going to be a fit in this offense because of his size, because he looks like a pro-style quarterback. But maybe I just underestimated the fact that he's an athlete. And, you know, we talked, we, I'm not surprised this offense is boring. I, I'm not. We talked about the offense all camp, that it was not making a lot of plays. Right. But I thought he'd at least be efficient. The fact that he's missing guys wide open like he is um, is something that we just couldn't we, – not that we couldn't, we just didn't account for. And um, it's uh, – I saw a tweet from David Wilson of the Herald, which I, I totally agree with, which is, you know, we saw for a decade what didn't work, meaning Rick's offense – Danny Enos offense. Then we got a two-year stretch of what average fans on message boards were calling for. And we were scoring 30-plus points a game. And then we immediately go back to what wasn't working, and the results went right down. I mean, it's not even like a gradual thing. It's literally like that, where you start scoring 30 points a game immediately. I've gotten a lot of, you know, this feels like the Danny Enos offense all over again text oh, the, last, the last few days. I'll be honest with you, this is worse. This is worse than Enos. In fact, I would say it's a lot worse than Enos. I'll tell you why. Enos had freshmen all over the offensive line. Enos had several quarterbacks that were having severe off-the-field problems while they were playing. Listen, shout-out Kosey Perry. He's gotten it together having a good year oh, at FAU. He, man, yeah, exactly. Great for him. He got, he got away from it. But – Enos had really hard circumstances. The same offensive linemen that Enos had in 2019, they're still there. Plus better guys that you've added. And your quarterbacks don't have off-field issues. They're blue-chip guys. I mean, but you're getting the same results or worse. So to me, to compare this offense to Enos is almost an insult to Enos, quite frankly. Right. As of now, now listen. We'll talk. I'm venting now because we're talking about this game. We'll talk about moving forward, and then I'll get the homer, stri- you know, streak going. But you can't. It's impossible to overstate how bad everything was on Saturday. It was one of those games where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. That's a fact. But it was caused by Miami. It wasn't just bad luck. It wasn't the ball bouncing. It was things that Miami did wrong. Well, it's funny because before the AM game. We were talking about, and it was really a comment that you were mentioning was, you know, how big of a game it was for momentum, right? And even though Miami lost that AM game, it did not feel like, you know, there was still the offense questions, right? We're still lingering heavily. But I, I think people just continued to expect for those kinks to be worked out this week, you know, this last week before ACC play. So it's like the the loss to AM didn't really kill momentum, but now you have this one that's like times a thousand. Yeah, and if you look at the whole body of work, let's put Bethune Cookman to the side. Hasn't been good. I mean, half of Southern Miss was as bad as the worst Enos offense. You you know, it was horrible. That half was horrible. Texas A&M, the offense didn't do anything, and then this game. That's real. So you have one half against Southern Miss through four games that you can hold, you know, hang your hat on. 
with no major injuries. It's not like South Carolina last year with Shane Beamer was winning games with grad, grad assistance at quarterback. You have a 6'4 stud at quarterback that was setting the world on fire last year. And a healthy offensive line. I mean, you don't have Zion, but you got, you got guys that can play, that have experience. It's, uh, you know, it's tough. But again, it was a team catastrophe. Every single person involved with the program has something to look at and say, this was terrible. And we didn't even talk about linebacker. They looked, you couldn't tell who the G5 players were and who the, the Power 5 players were. Quite frankly, if you looked at their running backs and our linebackers colliding with them or trying to chase them to the sideline. Uh, you know, D-line, they could have been better. They, I thought they were going to take over the game when Jake first got the crowd going. I thought, okay, D-line's going to take they over had this that, game. Then they had that drive where they are getting some pressure. And then didn't. And they then didn't. it just... They didn't. It was... Aside from the, the backup punter, this was a... Uh, everybody involved with that performance. Keyshawn Smith is turning into one of the better hey, return no, men you, in you the You know country. what? You're right. That, that is I, a bright I have, spot. I think I should say that. That is a bright spot because we haven't, because we haven't had a, dyna- a guy who's a consistent returner like that in how long? Yeah, no, that's true. That's a good point. That is a good point. Keyshawn Smith uh, as a returner has been a bright spot. But, uh, but yeah, every, everything else was as, as bad uh, as, it, as it could be at, at every, single, uh, every single position. You know, it's, I mean, even myself, I mean, I was acting such a fool during that game. My wife wouldn't talk to me for two hours after the game. My kids were crying, saying they're never coming back to another hurricane game. So, you know, I got to go to the lab and get better. I think this podcast, we got to go to the lab and get better. This is, it's the worst time in the world for a bye week because we're going to be suffering for two weeks. But, you know, maybe it's a good thing because um, there's going to be some wholesale changes. And this is not my opinion. This is information. They know, <laughs> they know it's a disaster, and they are gonna, there are gonna be, or there, what you know, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I guess we're, I'm hearing that they know that they cannot go on and yeah. just say we need to execute a little better and improve. That, yeah. that whole line, that whole idea that we're this close against Texas A&M, we just need to tighten the screws. That's gone. Yeah. No one believes that. No one can believe that in their right mind. So we'll have a podcast next week, too. We'll, we'll get more into UNC specifically, right? So we won't get too much into that. But anything else you want to vent about about next, next week before we get to Frankie Tinalau and, and questions? No, man. Uh, I, this has been good. This has been therapeutic. Um, you know, I'm st- I, I will say. Listen, your energy has been a little down since we found out that Restrepo got hurt. Oh, and you came in here and we did the A&M podcast. Yeah, because... I'm getting texts from people who you know, don't even know you personally saying, this guy's out of it right now. I was getting texts. I'm not lying to you, Peter. After the game, I got texts from people I haven't talked to in three to four years that were just wellness checks, making sure I was still alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, it, it was bad. But yeah, that text, right before our Texas A&M preview pod, we got, you know, we didn't report it at the time because... That's we know we're not going to break that, but the Restrepo was out, and you knew at that time. Okay, who are the players on this team that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, will never lose confidence, will never let someone be tougher than them on the other side, will never quit, and that you can trust to be total alphas. That I'm not worried about them one bit. 
Two guys I can think of. Restrepo and Parrish. Maybe Mesador. Even Lou Headley got banged up the other day. That's right. But I can't, I can't think of anybody else that we can trust. We're down to Strepo. Parrish, you know, hopefully that's not something serious. I don't think it is. But you saw what we looked like without those two players. It was not good. So who is going to be the person on this team that is going to show that they – this is not them. That what happened against Middle Tennessee State is not something they stand for. Not something they want to be associated with. It's something they. It's something that they won't allow to happen again. Who's going to take that ownership? Is it going to be TVD? Is it going to be Jake? Is it going to be someone on the offensive line? We'll see. Because the two guys that I know won't stand for that are hurt right now. So we'll see. Remember, you can like us subscribe and comment on youtube uh twitter at kane's insight on instagram now as well at kane's dot insight that that's correct right yep so we're making a big push on the socials in terms of the content that we're putting out there uh regarding the podcast and and other things uh, you know around the team so make sure to check us out there yeah tiktok you know remember to like and subscribe on youtube i didn't even know we're on tiktok yeah we're on tiktok i don't know how to use it but we got my man joel taking care of it and putting out a lot of content there youtube remember to like and subscribe it's pick the perfect time to invest in um football it's like blockbuster video you know start putting <laughs> money in this thing but uh but we're gonna keep putting out content and recruiting is gonna be crazy we're gonna keep that going and you know we could talk about the next steps um because this is a time to re to reflect and, and there are things that could happen changes um you know royal over just in terms of personnel in terms of adjustments um but uh but yeah it's a it's a sad time right now so time for it's a time for venting for sure well we'll get to the questions a little later on in the show but next we'll have frankie tina Lau, 2023 miami commit coming on The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canesware is still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season. You know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing, investing yourself, invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear, the best in the business for South Florida sports. Welcome back to the Canes Insight Podcast here at the FRM Studios. We are joined now by our special guest, Frankie Tinalau, 2023 Miami commit has an awesome story here to talk to him a bit and have him kind of share it with us. Frankie, appreciate you uh, making it making it down here and, you know, just want to talk to you about your transition to America, man. What's it been like so far? Yeah, no, I appreciate what's happening on here. Um, yeah, just coming out here, it's just, it's been a long, you know, long time coming. Um, you know, it's been a crazy story. I mean, my family, um, we've been through a lot, but, you know, now it's all worked out. I'm here, here in Miami, so... So you're at LaSalle, you know, down there in, in Coconut Grove. What's it been like? You know, we'll, we'll talk about the football side of things, but just the transition to school here. How, how different has that been? Um, yeah, the transition was ridiculous. Like, just trying to get used to, you know, one, the weather, being complete opposite, 
um, the humidity, and then going into school, you know, you get thrown in the deep end, um, having to make friends again. Uh, everything's all new to me, you know, new scenery. So I mean, transition has been—it's been tough, but you know, now it's it's all worked out, and now we're in a beautiful school. You you spoke about the humidity, right? How big was that for you? And just talk about because I think you've lost a little bit of weight since you've been oh, yeah. in South Florida. Do you think that that the humidity aspect of it kind of kind of played into it and made you realize like man the conditioning has to be a one out here yeah no nah, definitely um you know Australia is hot you know we're very dry uh, we can also have humidity too but when I came out here man straight off the plane just sweating man just sweating everything um and then obviously working out you know it puts your body through a lot you know you just get fit you start losing weight all of a sudden just you know like it just happens naturally. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty crazy. I wanted to talk a little bit about the rugby background, right? Obviously, it's such a big sport in, in your country. Yeah. How much of that translates to the football field? Obviously, Jordan Mailata is a guy that everyone kind of points to, um, you know, recently, at least. Those guys are such incredible athletes at, at their size. How much has that translated over to the football field for you? Um, a lot, you know, rugby plays, you know, we just develop athletically, um, you know, just the flexibility too, you know, is, is very important. It's, it's important too, because, you know, a guy like John Malato shouldn't be moving like that the way he does, you know, he guy's a freak, he's a monster. Um, so, you know, having the physicality like that, um, definitely takes place. And I feel like, you know, some of you develop too, you're playing rugby, um, you know, not everyone, you know, it's not big on big and small on small, you know, you're going to have some little guys tackling big guys and, you know, vice versa. So, um, you know, being able to, to also have the speed and, and the strength, you know, to keep up with that pace. So it definitely converts and transitions like that. Weight room wise, how, how big of a difference, you know, do you see being over here and, you know, nutritionally, like how far away you know, do you still think you are from being what you could ultimately be? Um, you know, it's it's a high, you know, bodice to uh to achieve. But I feel like, you know, you can never be at your peak. I feel like you can always improve, you can always improve somewhere. Um, but definitely that transition through rugby, you know, we, we don't lift as much as we do playing American football and and I feel like a lot of the strength comes from, you know, the lower body and from the core. And it's, so you so this is you without really having yeah. been in the weight room yeah um all of i mean i've been i've been training for about a year but i haven't been as serious as i am now um lifting wasn't as big you know always worked on conditioning for rugby so it was always conditioning and and you know like just lower body you know i can squat like crazy but my bench isn't you know isn't as much but it's something i'm working on now so i can be you know all-around athlete we saw a picture of you leading the team out and you had the samoan flag yeah what is it about Samoan culture that just matches so well with football? It's a brotherhood, man. Um, you know, countries like Samoa and Tonga, you know, when you go to a rugby game, you know, they don't have family, they don't they don't have friends on the team, but you know, you're gonna see a Tonga flag somewhere. And it's something that like I always bring to football, you know, it, it's a brotherhood. You don't see Polynesians out here too, but you know, I'm trying to change it. I wanna see, you know, you know it, Seeing a, a Samoan flag in Miami is going to make headlines. And, you know, for me, it did. And it helps out a lot, too. You know, bringing the team together is like a brotherhood, trying to teach them the poly way. Yeah, and aside from the, you know, the humidity, what's been the biggest transition being in Miami? We were like, wow, this is, this is different. Um, 
the culture, yeah, culture. Uh, just seeing that here, you know, it's, it's very like Hispanic, you know. Um, other than that, just the view is beautiful. It reminds me so much of, like Australia. Um, nothing else has really been a shock too, because I feel like Australia and Miami is so like similar, especially where I'm from. It's like a big version of what we call the Gold Coast. So, um, other than that, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Hispanic culture. I heard you were half Spanish, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna claim you. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> NFL we're claiming you. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about that and the kind of unique background because you don't meet that many people that are Samoan and then also Spanish. I'm Spanish too, yeah. So my mom's mom was Spanish, born in Barcelona, um, with the last name Martinez. So, <laughs> you know, I kept both my last names. So I had two last names. Um, Plenty but, of Martinez's yeah, down that's, here in that's Miami. Yeah, man. Like I could have came in and brought as a Martinez. But <laughs> I'm trying to be a little bit different, you know. That that last name Tini Lau, it's not it's not popular out here. So you know, gives me something to. Um, no, apart from everyone else. On the football field, we saw, you know, we'll, we'll get into how your season's gone so far, but last week went went viral a little bit. You know, what, what's that like? And, I mean, are, are those plays going to be a week-in, week-out occurrence? Uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, start off the season a bit sloppy. Um, and just watching back on my film, it's just like, you know, you have to make plays like that. Especially if you want to, you know, build build your brand and build your name and and also help out, uh, you know, film wise. But you know, something like that, it's gonna come. Um, I feel like I was forced, I was forcing too much. And you know, when you start forcing plays, that's when you make mistakes. So you know, let it make, let it like come naturally and, and happen by itself. And you know, that plays gonna come um, in the game. I, I knew what happened, but it didn't hit me to the end of the game. My dad sent me the film, so um, yeah, plays like that always help out, especially when it gets viral like that technique wise and just you know you talked about you you maybe were a little sloppy the first couple games um what's been the biggest thing that you've had to kind of keep focus of you know throughout the game when it comes to technique because listen uh, you're going to be bigger faster stronger than most of the guys you block right um obviously there's a ton of talent down here in south florida but and you you have some big time teams on your schedule. Already played Booker T. Have Edison uh, yeah, this week, and then Northwestern later on in the season as well. So you're gonna have your fair share of of loaded teams. But obviously, you can get away with a lot just with your your pure ability. What's the biggest thing from a technique standpoint that you've kind of had to focus on? Um, patience. Um, like you said, you can have all the strength in the world, but. If you're not patient, especially with your hand placement, you know, you're going to lose your rep. Um, with that speed, man, that Miami speed, everyone was telling me about it. And you realize that when you get out there, you know, you see, you know, a kid half my size and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to dog him. All of a sudden, you come with the ball aggressive and you miss that one, that first punch. That's it. It's over. So, you know, adapting to that and just working on my game, be a bit more patient um, and the rest will take place, and especially footwork. Footwork is everything. So in terms of, obviously, you're committed to Miami. How much does looking at a guy like Panay Sewell, who was developed by Alex Mirabal, Mario Cristobal, how much does that, his success, top 10 pick, balling in the NFL, how much does that play into your decision, seeing that they've done it already with someone similar size to you? Oh, myself, 100%. Panay is a guy I looked up to. Um, When I was in Australia, I didn't have the American coaching and I didn't have the experience coaching. So, you know, all I was, was always on YouTube. I was watching him in, you know, in high school and seeing where he was in college before he went to the league. That's who I studied off. That's everything about me was to, to be like Panay. And, um, yeah, 
played a big impact in the recruiting too. You know, seeing what um you know Mirabel could do and Mario too, um played a huge part. So, yeah. Can you talk about your relationship with with Francis uh, Maogoa as well? I mean, obviously you've talked about the Samoan connection, the family, and the brotherhood yeah. aspect of it. You know, just talk about the bond you guys have been building. Um, we always have a great bond. You know, that guy's a cool dude, and you know, hopefully we stick it out and. No matter where we go, we, we either play together or we continue with our, with our bond and friendship because, you know, he's, he's a freak athlete too. You know, someone I see, Panay, and him too. Um, and that's the type of, you know, with with his skill and with his athletic ability, like I will see him playing on a Sunday. So um, build that great relationship. And whenever we're in the off season, we're always working together. So, um, yeah, happy for it. What are your goals for this this season with Lissa? Obviously, you got your feet wet, but you know the playoffs. Everything's still ahead of you. So, what what are some of your goals? Um, definitely set the pathway. You know, I don't, I'm not coming to a salad to, to win a championship. Although, you know, I always want to, everyone wants to win a championship. That's the goal. But you know, I want to set the the path for the you know, the, the juniors coming in, and you know, the kids back in Australia that that might come to the south or kids all over the world. Um, you know, we have the Americans to, to show that we can make it. But I'm trying to be the international that comes in and shows that we can make from the other side of the world, you know. So um, we already have kids reaching out from Germany, um, Australia, New Zealand. So that's what I want to build. I want to build that culture. And, you know, maybe LaSalle can be known for the international pathways. In terms of football in Australia, obviously it's not big. But, like, how is it even a thing? Like, how do people watch football in Australia? Like, what is the football culture like, the American football culture like in Australia? Um, yeah, the culture out there, it's, it's very small. Um, Australians are big on the rugby, of course. So, you know, trying to get the eyes and, uh, you know, the, the crowd and also not even not just the players. You know, I know teams are struggling to, to even have a roster. So it limits everything completely, you know, having to categorize, you know, we'll go from, you know, 16 to 19. Because you played 19. football over like, American yeah, yeah, football yeah. in Australia. Yeah. yeah, I played at 14 and I didn't want to play, you know, 14 below and for the young guys. So, you know, I played up, played 16 to 19 at 14. And then when I turned 17, I was playing in, you know, 19 and above with my dad. So. It's Talk just, about uh, that. You, you got to play with, you got to play football with your dad. There's not. I mean, I don't think anyone can really say that, right? Uh, that they that they had the chance to play tackle football with, with their dad. So, what was that experience like? Yeah, that that was just a dream come true, man. Um, you know, it's it's for my dad too. Um, you know, he, he kind of knew that I was going to be over here, and when he got the chance, he you know he took it. My dad's you know he's fifty two years old, so. He's getting there, he's getting at that time. So, you know, for him to come out there every, you know, Tuesday, Thursday and practice with the boys, he, you know, he doesn't stop. He's a machine. He's a, he's a tank, you know. That's what what, what does film look like? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he tried. Look, he tried. It's all you expect, you know, 52-year-old going against, you know, young dudes. Well, just strapping it up out there, man. It's, yeah, it's, man. It, much respect to him for that. <laughs> Did you guys ever go, like, one-on-one? Was there any kind of, like, you against him situations at practice? Yeah, um, I remember one time at practice. Uh, so he played guard, I played tackle, so we're on the same side. But there was this one play my dad said he won't line up against me. So my dad's competitive. So I made it, you know, we versed each other, we went one on one. I locked them up. And yeah, they didn't, didn't go, you know, elsewhere. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> so I got to ask you this, and I'm sure people have asked you this before, but. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, me and my kids, we love watching wrestling. And if you're watching wrestling today, Samoans dominate. The champion is Samoan. The tag team champions are Samoan. They're running the game. Is that something your, your goals are football, obviously, NFL, Hall of Fame? That's your goals. If you're thought, like, you know, if it ever goes a different direction, maybe I'll do that kind of thing. Oh, exactly. Um, just seeing, like, especially with the way like WWE is now, it's, it's, a, it's a pathway. I mean, it's a career. So I want to be the type to, you know, play Dwayne Jones. I want to do everything. I would, you know, from wrestling to rugby, I, I might play. In the league, I might get back to New Zealand, play for the All Blacks. Off the All Blacks, I might go play, you know, go to WWE. Haven't you done something uh, in in acting somewhat? Yeah, yeah. So I was the son double for Dwayne Johnson in Young Rock. So we filmed that in Australia. There you go. I mean, I think you're already showing that that you that you are a multi talented uh, guy and. I think Kane's fans and you know fans everywhere, as you, as you said, you you're, you're building a brand for yourself outside of just you know here in South Florida, but becoming a role model. I think for you know a lot of a lot of young young kids from back where you're from. Yeah, sure. So you know, tough loss from Miami last week. Have you been keeping up with the season, watching the offensive line? You know, there's been some ups and downs, but there's been some ups for the offensive line, some good performances as well. What have you seen from Miami, and particularly the offensive line? Um, I know for a fact they played a great game against AM. That line, you know, they're locking up, they're giving a, a good pocket. Um, and unfortunately, that last game, you know, something started to crack, a lot of pressure through the middle. And when that happens, it's like a dominant effect. All of a sudden, you know, it doesn't help that the receivers aren't catching the ball. So, you know, small things like that, but you can't, you can't ever be mad about it. You can only get better. So, you know, I'm proud of my boys and, you know, they played a great game and, you know, it wasn't the outcome we wanted, but hey, it's life and just back to the drawing board. So you, you're a guy, I mean, it's funny because I usually talk to high school kids. They're shy. They're, they don't want to say too much, but you're talking about playing multiple sports while acting on the side. You know, you're very much, you're very confident. You seem very confident in yourself and what you want to be. So do you have any messages for like Canes fans about, you know, who you are and what you're, what you're coming to do and, and everything else? Um, Canes fans, anyone listening, um, I'm just a kid with a dream and now I'm just living in it. Um, I feel like just live a life like it's your own movie and you're going to be successful. Um, for me, my goal is just to play football, have fun and, you know, and make memories. So I'm not too serious about winning and losing. I'm just here to get better and be great and make sure, you know, look after my family. So everything I do is for my family. So that's about it. Well, Frankie, we're excited to uh, see you the rest of the season at LaSalle. Like I said, some big games coming up. Um, is Edison this week? Yeah, this week, Saturday. So, uh, you know, obviously the storm is here. Hopefully it doesn't mm-hmm. affect it. I, you know, it shouldn't. But, uh, you know, obviously another Miami commit on the other side over there with, with Ray Ray. Um, so that should be cool to see you guys on uh, on opposite sides there. But, uh, yeah, best of luck the rest of the season. I know – like I said, Canes fans, but fans everywhere. Um, looking forward to watching your your journey continue to progress. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you. All right, D, we'll get into some Q&A here from the Canes Insight uh, community. Got to talk about what's next, right? We, we've, we've done enough venting uh, up to this point. But this first question here from 305 Separatist, what is the new goal for this season realistically? It's the same thing we've been saying every year after 
terrible losses, which is winning the Coastal. Now, I will say, Pittsburgh last year, they lost to Western Michigan. And no one talks about that with Pittsburgh last year because they won the ACC. So if I'm Miami, I'm looking at this season as kind of three parts to this. You know, you say, okay, you have spring, last year's film, and camp as far as and the offseason program. We're evaluating what we think we have. Now you have these four out-of-conference games. Now you really know what you have and what you don't have. So with this bye week, you can go into the real season, which is conference play, and have no illusions about what you're working with and make tough decisions about who you're going to invest time in. So this was essentially the pre you know, could be used as the preseason. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously it's not. <laughs> this is going to stay with Mario forever. Yeah. You know, it's embarrassing. Um, but if you go and look like a different team in the ACC, which we've seen turnarounds where we look like two different teams. TV the last year during his 5-1 and one stretch, that looked like a different team. Um, Mar- uh, Mark Rick's first year, I think we were 4-4 four and four at one point, and then you rattled off five straight wins to finish mm-hmm. the season. looked very different, looked a lot. That was after the Notre Dame loss. Right. You went from a team that was uh, very slow developing on, on offense, really exposed the offensive line to a lot of quick hitters with Kaya. And by the end of the season, by the West Virginia game, they were, they were really a tough team, a mm-hmm. legitimately pretty good team. So we've seen that. Um, I think now what you, the key is in this off, in this off week, just realistically assessing your coaching staff and your personnel. And this is not an excuse for what happened, but more of just a potential explanation. This is not a staff that has a lot of experience together. Aside from guys like Mirabal and Cristobal and, and Salavea, you know, most of these guys didn't really know each other. So you know more about those dynamics having gone through these kind of battles. And the reason you're paying these guys is their ability to adjust. You know, they're not coaching by the numbers. They have to be, you're, you're counting on their intelligence, on their creativity, and then their ability to adjust and make things happen. So this is what they get paid for now. Are we going to be running the Rhett Lashley offense coming out of the bye week? That's not going to happen. <laughs> but I've spoken to people who would know the answer to this, and they all tell me, that they know things are rotten and everybody knows that things need to be very, very different because what's happening now is not working. It's not the, we, both of us have talked to coaches and people, uh, you know, on staff and we've all heard he catches this pass, make this block, just, you know, maybe get a little bit more here and we win the game. Or, you know, those kind of things. It's an ex- execution, execution, execution. I have not heard one thing about execution talking to people. It is, we need to make changes. We need to evaluate ourselves and figure out what's wrong. Does that mean personnel change? We could talk about the quarterback controversy. Me personally, I would probably go with TVD with a short leash just because it's going to be a lot harder to, if Jake struggles to go back to TVD, I'd rather TVD go out there and either bounce back. Work himself back, yeah. Or leave no doubt that he's lost it, Jake's our guy, um, than go back and forth. So I'd probably go with TVD to start. But that's something you assess. We're not in the building. 
if TVD's walking around with, you know, hang dog and, 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 and not there mentally and Jake's, you know, eager and ready to go and, and on, on it and he's sharp in practice and he's, he's executing and he looks, he's picking up where he left off, that's a different story. We don't know those kind of things. Um, but in a perfect world, I'd, I'd, I'd give TVD just one more opportunity with a very short leash to see, to see where he's at um, based on all the equity he built up last year. Um, but those, that's part of the changes you're making. And again, guys like Arroyo, should he be playing more linebacker? I would do a deep, you know, position like linebacker where I understand, and I've seen this happen with coaches all the time. When you have a big out-of-conference game early in the season, you say, you know, I don't want to lose this game because I have a young player that hits the wrong gap and just doesn't know what to do. The coverages are already busting out there. Right. The tackles are already being missed. So. Right. And you're not getting to the spots. You don't have the athleticism to get to the spots and make the play. Uh, that's only going to get worse in ACC play. I mean, ACC's not – they're not world beaters, but they're, right. they're a lot better than Middle Tennessee State. So I, I would think very strongly more Wesley Besaint, more Chase Smith, more Caleb Johnson at, at the linebacker position. You have to figure out corner. Again, Daryl Porter, if he can play like he did at West Virginia, he would be an improvement. He has not played well. So you got to really figure out what's going on there. Where's Chris Graves? I saw Chris Graves in a scrimmage, and he was the best player on the field. Maybe he's not doing the little things, and that's important too. But we got to find somebody that can cover people and tackle people because it's not happening at that position. Um, you know, running back, I don't know what you do aside for pray for, for Parrish and Rooster to, to heal up because that position yeah. and Cheney to heal up. Um, offensive line – Justice is a weak spot. Is Zion going to come back? That's not a sure thing. He's hurt. He might have his eyes on the pros. I wouldn't because I don't think he's put enough on tape to be that surefire pick. You're an agent. I'm not going to ask you for your opinion, but you know, I don't think he's put enough on tape. But is he going to rush back? If you get him back, putting him at right tackle and putting Scape at right guard I think makes a lot of sense. What if you don't have that option? Is it time to see what Inez Cooper can do? I mean, Everything's on the table. I don't understand what you have to lose. Put an S. Cooper at right tackle and put Scaife at right guard. We were getting bullied inside. It, it, it was, you couldn't function. So those are the kind of things, just from a personnel standpoint. Schematically, I think one, a couple comments that caught my eye or my ear. Chris, uh, Cristobal, men, when he was talking about the corners, Cristobal mentioned, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but the, you can tell the vibe. He basically said, you know, we got to adjust to what these guys have shown to be as opposed to what we think they are. Now, again, I'm paraphrasing, but from his comments post-game, that's kind of what you could tell. Like, he's like, we, he's like, we got to train them up technique-wise, and maybe we got to use them differently. In other words, protect them maybe a little more. Um, that's something that needs to be done. And it, it, you really just got to get a quarterback that's going to get some confidence infused back in this team, whether it's Jake or whether it's TVD playing a lot better than he's been. And this game, really the second half of the North Carolina game, I think is what spearheaded TVD last year. This would be a great game to figure out you know, who the guy is going to be and to get that energy back uh, in the team. So this next question from Dolmite79, what is the self-awareness level of Mario and Alonzo? Dolomite, you never seen that movie? No. Not Dolmite. Uh, the self-awareness level, you know, I think better than people think. A lot of people say Mario's stubborn. Uh, you know, Mario's stubborn in that he thinks you should have an offensive line that's physical and can move people. 
I agree with him. That's not outdated thinking. Look who won the national championship last year. Look who, look what Alabama's about. Look at Ohio State. Look at any team, any team that's consistently successful, even Oklahoma with their explosive offenses. You need to be a powerful offensive line that can move people. It's just, you know, Clemson got away with it because they had elite, elite, elite quarterbacks and elite defensive lines. But year in, year out, you need to be able to move people with physicality. I don't care what year it is. You're never going to just throw, you know, win championships by throwing the football and not being able to push. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to happen. So I think it's true even more in college than in the pros. In the pros, you can get away with an offensive line that isn't, you know, elite physicality. Most people are the same size anyways. College, you need those monsters up front. So, Cristobal's stubborn in that. I think he's right, and I don't think that's outdated at all. That is, look at the playoffs. That's what the teams look like. He's right to prioritize that. But as far as scheme, Morrow's not an offensive coordinator. It's not like some guy, like a Rick, for example, who came up as an offensive mind that says, this is what I do. This is what worked. His famous quote, you know, this worked 20 years ago. It still works today or whatever it was. Morrow's not like that. He isn't, he's not wedded to some philosophy. So I think there's a misconception that Morrow's stubborn in that way. Um, and then they mentioned Zoe. How, how, how is he as far as about, you know, being uh, honest about what he's looking at? Zoe comes from the personnel side. And you know dealing with these guys. They're the ones that fire coaches. I mean, they're always looking at everything dispassionately. That is their job. Well, not job. just coaches, but looking for the guy on the street that can come in and do the job better than someone on the roster. Or cutting the beloved veteran. Right. That's their whole mindset. So I think Zoe is, a, is if I'm Mario, that's who I'm leaning on. Because he's not on the grass every day with these guys. I'm saying Zoe. He's, his emotions aren't in it the same way. Right. And that's not even his personality. So that's the person I would lean on the most in this bye week is, Zoe, what are you seeing what are you seeing from these coaches? Because, you know, and this is not based on info, but common sense, these coaches are not all going to be around next year. You know, I mean, just look at their trajectory. A lot of guys probably didn't expect to be around next year. So, ask Zoe, what do you think? Zoe's going to be here next year. He's here for a reason. Morrow's going to be here next year. They got to get together and figure out what's wrong. Um, and uh, I, I think they will. And everything I've heard, and this is based on info, this part, is that they know things got to change. They know that this is not execution. I mean, it is execution. The execution is terrible, but it's not— ex- You're not going to execute with the same guys that you've, you've been rolling out there. The plan has not proven to be successful. The personnel that you thought you had coming out of camp is not the personnel that you've had— on the field, in live settings. Um, and I think they know that. And I think they're going to, to make the changes they need to. Will it work? You know, who knows? But everything is still in front of them as far as they can still have a successful season. Now, again, I was 9-4 before the year. If you ask me now, I'll say 7-5, safest bet. That's what, they, that's what Miami's been on average. I was 8-4 pre, pre-bowl game. Right. Um, but both of those options are still on the table. It's going to depend – I think, on this North Carolina game. If you lose this North Carolina game, the energy is going to be absolutely horrible. Um, we're going to get real creative. <laughs> we might be bringing pods on, or props on the podcast, you know, like stuffed an- or balloon animals. I don't know what we'll do uh, to get people paying attention to us. But if you win that game and you play well, 
Now it's okay. They made some adjustments in the bye week. And the momentum starts to carry, and you saw it last year. You've, we've seen it happen before. So the hope, all hope is not lost. I'm still a Mario guy. I think he's I, – I think, you know, even if you just get the results you got at Oregon with guys he recruited and coached, we'd sign up for that all day. 12 wins, win a Rose Bowl. 10-3 and three last year, beat Ohio State on the road. I'd sign up for that. You know, hopefully the goal is always that we'd be better than Oregon because we're Miami, but I'll take Oregon as Oregon with Mario. Right now... It's a far cry from that right now. Right now we're Miami. The past 20 years, Miami. 7-5, and five, Miami. Expensive Manny, Miami. But it's early. I believe in these guys. They got to work. They got paid to do what they're doing right now. They don't get paid to just, you know... Coast. Yeah, they're getting paid It, it for would them. be nice if... if that was the case right now, but they're getting paid to do the hard stuff. And this is where we find out a lot about Mario and about the coaches he hired and about the players that he can trust. And it's going to be interesting to watch. Recruiting is going to be a huge part of this podcast going forward. And as we get into the meat of, meat of the recruiting season, for sure. Yeah. Right. Obviously, you saw Frankie. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of Canes fans are going to be freaking out that he said, you know, if me and, Fran- me and Francis go to the same school because they're both committed. You know, Frankie says he's going to take his his visits to other schools. He hasn't been anywhere. Um, but that's, you know, that's part of the job. I would expect it for him, too. He's, a, he's a, you know, as he mentioned, everything's new to him here. He wants to see as much as he can. So I would, you know, I would take every visit I can. I mean, at work, I go to every single lunch meeting to get a free lunch. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, to get plant based. Well, yeah, I got to order the special plant based ahead of time. But, but yeah, I mean, I go just for the free lunch. Imagine getting treated like a god eating, you know, steak and shrimp, <laughs> you know, in all these places, getting flown everywhere with right. your family. I would take that too. But the recruiting has to come. That's part of this too. So a lot of work to be done, obviously, but. I'm not throwing in the towel on this season. Definitely not throwing the towel on Mario. But this is a test, and this is what you pay him for, the test, the hard time. So we'll see what we got. Well, And we'll be back next week. I know that you know we vented a lot, and you did talk about what's next, but I know in, in the coming days and you know over the next week we'll gather some info and have a little bit more concrete answers. I'm sure more will come out, and when Mario does more interviews and things of that nature – um, I don't expect for there to be much clarity on the quarterback position, uh, you know, leading up to the next game, but I guess we'll see, right? Yeah, we'll see. And that might not, you know, that might not be done for a while. Uh, I hope it is done. I hope by the end of the North Carolina game, we know who the quarterback is, but we've seen these situations before. Um, but it'll, uh, it'll be interesting. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week again here at the FRM studios. Obviously, there's no game this weekend, so uh, we'll probably still not be uh, too too excited about about things. But um, hopefully, Canes can get some positive momentum week after that, and uh, we'll break it down next week. Yep, it's only uphill from here. Like, subscribe, and follow on all social media channels.